Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 8 today. We began this series last week, a series entitled Wisdom from Above, about the book of Proverbs and some of the passages from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is right in the middle of your Bible next to Psalms. Now, in my, in my office here at the church, um, back there, there is a, um, a little container that has chocolate in it. And uh, has all these different kinds of pieces of chocolate that are individually wrapped so you could go and uh, take one for yourself and enjoy uh, a piece of chocolate. And kids who come by my office uh, often do the little look where they're, they're looking to see if I will let them uh, have a piece of chocolate. Some don't even ask. They just go straight in right to the uh, container where the chocolate is. And some adults even go there when I'm not uh, aware that they're there and they steal my my chocolate. Um, uh, when, when kids come by, it's fascinating because they look into my little chocolate container and it's, it's a little cookie jar that they could peer into. It's right on their level. And there are all these different kinds of chocolates in there. There, there are the, um, the Hershey nuggets. There are the Hershey nuggets with almonds. And there's the dark chocolate, the creamy milk chocolate. There's also dove chocolates. And then there's some Reese's cups. And there's um, I'm not going to have any chocolate left by the end of the day. All y'all are going to raid my office. But there are several. There's even in the corner, I have some York peppermint patties that were just given to me recently by Miss Grace. And so I have uh, all this uh, stuff in that one, one thing. And, and it's fascinating to watch the kids try to make a choice over what they will get. Uh, because a lot of them have not had the privilege of tasting every individual piece of chocolate. And so they have to make a decision. Uh, and really, they have a couple of options. They can, they, if they know what the pieces taste like because of the, the wrapper, they've had it before, they can choose, oh, I like the way that one tastes, I'm going to take this one. Some will even be daring and say, I don't know what this tastes like, but that looks like it will be good, and they'll take another piece. And sometimes they have another choice, um, you know, because there is a difference between some of the chocolates in there. I'll be, let's be completely honest. Um, sometimes some of the chocolates in there are not very good. I mean, I have those Whoppers. I don't know if you've ever had, wa- I think they're called Whoppers, little, um, little balls, and they're just, they're terrible. They're just no, no good. And, um, and, and somebody's going to uh, disapprove, of course. But, but, but alongside the Whoppers, there's Dove chocolate. Now, I'm telling you, D- Dove chocolates are pretty good. And so the, the, the difference between those two is pretty, pretty dramatic. Now, let me be clear and upfront right now. I have mentioned candy from this pulpit before, and I've ended up with candy on my desk. I do not want any candy from this illustration. That's not the reason I'm talking about candy this morning. If you please withhold, don't, don't spend any more money on candy. We're good. We have plenty of candy. The point being this, that a child looking in my candy container will, will, will have to make a decision, and they can either choose to go in their past experience of, oh, this is good, this is not good, or, or, or they, they could even choose to ask me, Pastor Marshall, which one of these candies is good? And I will tell them, that's quality that's junk. Like, eat this, don't eat that. You know, you, you really want a good piece of candy? Get this little blue uh, milk chocolate Dove candy bar. Don't eat the, the cheap one, the Rolo that's been down there for six months. You don't want, the one is way better than the others. And, and, and you have to, as a child, most children don't think to ask. You would have to know to ask. And if you ask, you have to be willing to actually listen to my advice because they might be thinking, oh, wait a second, he's giving me advice. Maybe he wants to keep all these good ones for himself. And so he's giving me bad advice. And, you know, we need to learn, like we, so many of us are, are like that, we need to learn how to listen, who to listen to, and whether to uh, do what they tell us to do. Because when, when we're talking about chocolate, it's really insignificant. It's not a big deal. If you get a bad piece of chocolate, who cares? But we talk about life choices we must learn to listen well and we must learn what the bible teaches us about listening to good instruction have you ever been in a crowded room and someone says your name and you immediately pop 
to, to hear that, like your, your head turns almost involuntarily. M- Marshall is not that common of a name. Some of you might have names that are more common and this might not happen to you. But because my name is not all that common, if someone has that name, especially, or someone calls out that name, immediately I turn to listen. We need to be willing to turn our heads to listen to truth. We need to be willing to have our ears tuned and perked up to truth so we can listen well. We have the book of Proverbs, which is a manual for skillful living, passing down wisdom from father to son. The, the idea of a man being made, a, a, a young man being made into a, a, a fully grown man, principles for true biblical living. Let's start with Proverbs 1.7. We'll read it, we'll pray. And we'll dive into the rest of our passage today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Father, I ask today that we would be those who fear the Lord, fear your, your word, understand your truth, and take heed, listen well. That we would not be drawn into the lure of those who do not have our best interest in mind, but we would be drawn to the truth. And Lord, help us to listen to good advice and that advice that comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as we grow in wisdom, we need to avoid childish misconceptions about the world. There are a lot of misconceptions people have that they can get away with whatever they want, that they can gain without work, that they can, um, they can blame someone else for their problems. I mentioned a lot of these last week, and I also mentioned that you know, one of the biggest dangers we have is we are being preached at constantly by our world. The, mu- the movies, the, the videos, the TVs, the shows we watch, the, the internet, we around, ev- the news, everything is, is preaching a certain philosophy at us. And we need to be able to sift through these, understand when they're contrary to God's word, and address them properly. And we need to know who we're listening to. A lot of times we don't even realize who we're listening to. So how do you listen well? Well, first, the first point, simply a couple, couple verses here. We need to heed the voice of God-appointed authority. How do you listen well? Well, two verses that give us... These instructions, number one and verse eight, my son, hear the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother. The instructions of God appointed authority will guide you. This is a really simple and direct message to young men. Man, young man, listen, hear, tune your ear to the instructions of your father. You need to listen to him because he's God's appointed, ordained authority in your life. God has put your father there for a purpose And this is a common issue for young men. Guys don't want to listen to their dads. They disrespect their dads often. You hear men, young men talk about their old man, just doesn't understand what's going on, and they are disrespectful. They're not honoring their parents. And and we, we often think that a parent, a dad, doesn't have a best interest in mind. Like, what could he possibly know about life? He has no idea what I'm going through. I hear these things often. In fact, what he's doing is he's trying to keep me from enjoying life. This is a common problem for young men especially and young men the bible is addressing you that god has given your dad a responsibility he has not given others that is to give you advice and direction and wisdom and of course not every father is a godly father yet we should still listen to wisdom that comes from parental figures he doesn't stop with the father the second part of that verse says don't forsake the law of your mother the rules the principles of your mother need to be followed you need to know what your mother wants you to do And you need to care about that. You have many opportunities to listen to a lot of different instructions. And your parents are there for a reason, especially in your young age. Secondly, notice this next part in verse 9. Their instructions, not only will they guide you, they will bless you. 
he says, they will be a graceful ornament on your head. They will be like chains about your neck. There, there's this public blessing. It's saying it's like you're going to wear it like a crown. You're going to wear their instructions as a symbol of honor. It'll be a chain around your neck, not a restricting chain like you might put on a dog or you might see in a prison, but, but a beautiful, ornate gold chain like you might wear as, as jewelry. The, the, the instructions of your parents will act for you in an adorning and a blessing way. In fact, the Bible tells us how much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. You know, it's amazing to me that so many youth are embarrassed by their parents. I mean, I understand. I get it. Uh, they're not cool, right? They don't know what's in and what's not. They might say something unintentionally that's hilarious. They don't try to be that way. And, and I'm getting to that stage now where I'm, I'm the parent, you know. I have kids who are, who are in, coming into this age, and there's a temptation for young people to be embarrassed, to roll their eyes, to not want people to know what their parents' instructions are. In fact, I've heard young people embarrassed about the rules of their parents and the way their parents do things. But a godly response and the right way to think about the instructions of your parents is that it's actually a blessing. It's a blessing to you. Heed the voice of God-appointed authority. What kind of advice will your parents give you? Here, we're going to get into the meat of the chapter, starting in verse 10. And we're going to see the warning of a father to his son. Let's look. The warning is this. Simply put, the father warns his son, you need to reject the lure of self-destructive fools. Reject the lure of self-destructive. How do you listen well? Well, you, you need to learn to filter out these self-destructive fools. Sinners, these fools, entice with the promise of treasure. Notice here, he says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. Who is the audience for the, for, the, uh, for the rebuke? He says, my son, young man, you need to make a decision about the kind of friends you're going to have. And I believe this kind of decision is not just for young men. It's for all people. But there's something about young men that are very susceptible. They are very weak in this area. They are very easily drawn away by bad friends. He needs to beware the enticement of sinners. If sinners entice you, what's your response? Do not consent. Don't allow it to stand. The young man who's experiencing the temptation has to say, no, I won't allow this to go any further. Let's look at the enticement that the bad peers place before this young man, I want you to notice the promises which are embedded in this enticement. First, there is the lure of companionship. Look with me in verses 10 through 14. Now, he says, come with us. Let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly. Let us swallow them. Verse 13, we shall find. We shall fill. Cast your lot among us. Let us have one purse. Who doesn't want to have a group of friends? Everybody wants friends. No one wants to be a loner. Everyone wants companions. And the lure of the fool, the self-destructive fool, is you come with us, you'll have lots of friends. You come with us, you'll have companions. We'll be, we'll be a group 
we'll be a gang, we'll be together. And if you have us as friends, you'll have companions. And God made us to seek companionship. God made us to be people who want to seek companionship. So it's very easy to fall into this trap. We have to be careful not to be drawn into a group of people who are luring us with the lure of companionship. Just because we'll get friends doing this does not mean it's the right way to go. There's another lure here that I see, and that's in verse 11 and 12. There's a lure of superiority. It seems that they're dealing with others who are not as savvy, as superior, as sophisticated as they are. They, these other people are innocents and who don't know any better. Look at verse 11. He says, will lie and wait to shed blood, will lurk secretly for the innocent without cause, will swallow them alive. You know, there's this, the, these gangs of folks will, will, will open up like the grave and be strong men, macho men who feel powerful and their superiority who feel like they have something up on everybody else. That they, can't, they, they are going to be strong men. He said, come and feel like a man. There's a, there's a sense of a gang initiation here. We can engage ourselves in violence and do some fun stuff. And, and you'll be able to pick on people who are below you. There's a lure of superiority that comes from these self-destructive men. There's also a lure of prosperity. Notice the promise of wealth. He says, cast your purse in with us. You'll have everything you ever wanted. You'll have lots of precious possessions. You'll be able to fill your houses with spoils of war. Isn't this all the lure of those who sell drugs, those who are in gangs, and those who are involved in crime, is that you can have a lot of stuff. You just have to break the law and you have to be violent. This is the stuff that's happening in our cities today and even in our small town of rock hill there are people who are swept up into these groups where they get lured into this lure of companionship a lure of superiority a lure of prosperity and they're headed towards complete destruction sinners enticed with these lures of treasure it's not only physical treasure it's also this emotional fulfillment and treasure they they, they're trying to trying to lure someone in and they're walking and they're headed they're running straight towards their own destruction we see that in the second point here they are running towards their destruction look at verse 15 he says my son do not walk in the way with them no keep your foot from their path For, for their feet run to evil they make haste to shed blood. He says, do not walk with them because they're going bad places to do bad things. Their road, their direction in life, their direction is bad. Do not walk with them. Don't go that way. Why? Because they're leading straight to evil. They want, they're wanting to shed blood. The word evil there means calamity. It means like bad things happening. It means chaos. And the idea of, of pouring out blood, they are already there to shed innocent blood. They're on the path there. And, and this is fascinating. Look at verse 17. He tells us that the foolish, they're so foolish, they're so stupid, they're so, they're so ignorant, they don't even realize they're causing their own downfall. He says in verse 17, surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. Here's the picture. Birds are smart. They're not that smart. We call you bird brain when you're stupid. But birds are smart enough to know where a trap is. You can't spread out a net in the sight of a bird or it will know it's a net and it won't fall into the trap. You have to do it when the bird is not looking and then the bird will be caught in the trap. I once went crow hunting with a young man here in our our church. He took me crow hunting and he said, you have to cover your face, you have to cover your hands because the crows recognize humans and they can recognize and remember people. I had no idea that was true. 
he probably was pulling my leg, but he got me. I mean, that's what happened. You know, we covered our hands and we had gloves and everything. We went, but you know, birds are not very smart, but they're smart enough to know when there's a trap being set right in front of them. If a bird knows when a trap is being set right in front of him, how many men can't see the trap that is being set right in front of him? He said, he says, you're this foolish. Even a bird won't fall into a net that is laid out in front of him. But the fools are not so smart. Look at verse 18 and 19. They, the fools, lie in wait for their own blood. They, they lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of it. It's, oh, they, 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 they think that they're going to jump and surprise somebody. They think that they're the ones who are going to take advantage. But he says it's actually their own blood that will be spilled. It's their own life that will be lost. They are walking into a trap they don't even see they prepared for themselves. And this happens to people who are greedy for gain. Greedy for gain. They want their own wealth. They want to exploit others, but they themselves end up getting exploited. We need to reject the lure of these self-destructive fools, but there's another voice that's calling. There's not only the voice of these gangs that are calling young men to come join them, there's another voice we need to listen to, and that is the voice of wisdom's public, there's your blank, wisdom's public call. Because in the book of Proverbs, we have a contrast being set over and over again of the voice of folly and the voice of wisdom. And here we have the voice of wisdom's public call. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this group called the Church of Scientology or sometimes Scientology. They're famous people like Tom Cruise who are members of this religion, of this cult. And one of the major tenets or aspects of this religion is that as you advance through the ranks of the religion, uh, read here, uh, as they, as you give them more and more money, um, you get higher and higher knowledge. So Basically, you start out as a regular, and you level up, and then they let you read these certain documents, and you learn more about the truth, quote-unquote. And then you level up again by giving more money, and you learn more and more, and there's a secrecy to the knowledge. It, there's a fancy word for this. It's called Gnosticism. There's a secret knowledge that's only available to certain people. And this church of Scientology has at the highest levels, if you give so much money and you get so far in, you can read their secretest of secret books, but you're not allowed to talk with anyone downstream from you. Anyone lower than you, you're not allowed to do that. You realize this is the opposite of how the biblical knowledge and the biblical wisdom works. Because when wisdom calls, wisdom calls publicly. There's no private knowledge here. Notice that wisdom gives an opportunity to the simple. How does God give opportunities to the simple? Well, first, by speaking openly. Look at verse 20. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in the chief concourses at the openings of the gates of the city. She speaks her word. Notice the place. She calls outside in an open area. In the chief concourses where, where people gather in the gates of the city where everybody is around. There, this is not in a secret house like you have to have an access code to get into and you have to have a certain amount of money. This is wisdom calling out to everybody saying, listen up. Wisdom comes in the open places and the manner is that she calls aloud. There's not a secret whispering here of like there's a secret knowledge you have to get inducted into. No, no, this is a clear raising of the voice 
crying out and speaking words. Friends, God is not hiding truth from you, requiring you to jump through hoops in order to see it. Wisdom is not in a secret society or a secret group, part of secret knowledge. God's wisdom is clearly seen. It's given in the open. We see that even with creation, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Aren't you glad that God's knowledge is not hidden away? It is open. God's knowledge, God's wisdom is available. Wisdom cries out publicly to you. You don't have to look very hard to find wisdom. It's there. You just need to listen. Secondly, wisdom gives an opportunity by speaking to those who need her. Speaking those who need... Look at verse 22. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Wisdom is not an exclusive club that belongs to people of a certain ethnicity or of a certain income class. It does not matter to wisdom even if they do not want her or do not love her. Wisdom speaks to those who need her. In fact, look at the audience. These people, the simple, love folly. They are delighting in scorning. They hate knowledge, but wisdom still calls. Wisdom still calls to those who don't want wisdom. You should give an opportunity to those who need to hear, even if they don't want to listen. Wisdom does not push away those who need to receive wisdom. God's wisdom is open. Wisdom calls for the simple ones to come. And when I say simple, I'm not talking about someone who, who can't understand complex ideas, but someone who is naive about life. That's the idea. A simple fool is a naive person about life who doesn't understand the truth about life. And how does, how does wisdom deal with simple people? Look at verse 28. Wisdom gives opportunity by confronting. Look at this phrase. Turn at my rebuke. Rebuke is a stern forceful confrontation with truth. If you are simple, you need to be rebuked for your simplicity. You need God's truth directly spoken into your life. You need God's word spoken without apology to tell you where you are wrong. You need this. If you are simple, you need the rebuke from wisdom. How, how do many of us, how do most of us respond when we are rebuked? We, we respond being defensive. We say, oh, no, that's not, that's not right, because, and we defend ourselves. We respond, by, we respond by dismissing. We say, oh, you don't have any right to rebuke me for that. Who are you to say such a clearly true thing? We are offended. I cannot believe they would think that they have the right to speak that truth to my, in, into my life. We are offended that such a rebuke might come our way. And don't we know that this is actually God's way of helping us? And this is an important, important point. That I want you to notice the difference here between wisdom and folly. If you miss everything else, I want you to just clue in with me for this moment. That, that folly promises companionship and inclusion. We go back at your Bible. I circled all the, mar or all the times that folly says, let us do this. We will do this. Let us do this. Let us do this. Okay, wisdom promises this inclusion. You will be part of our community. You will belong to us. Wisdom doesn't do anything like this. Wisdom does not say anything like, come and join us. Wisdom rebukes. Wisdom confronts. And wisdom says, change your mind. And in fact, the word turn at my rebuke is the word in Hebrew. It's the word shuv, which just means repent. Change your mind. You, you need a radical change 
of your thinking. And I don't know if I can overstress the importance of this point that folly and wisdom are luring in different ways. Folly lures by inclusion and accommodation. You belong here. But wisdom does not flatter. Wisdom says you're a fool and you need to change. Wisdom speaks the truth. It confronts. And this is part of the confrontational ministry of the Word of God. God does not tell you you're okay when you're not okay. God's Word does not soften our sin. God confronts us. He says you're a wicked sinner desperately in need of a Savior. And that's my, that is offensive to our world today that doesn't like the truth, doesn't like to be confronted with truth. We like to be comforted. We like to be softly soothed. But the Bible tells us we deal with truth, we deal with promises, because what good are promises if we don't know what we need to be saved from? The Bible is, is direct and confronts wisdom, direct and confronts Folly is all about making you feel part of it because wisdom is the only way it gives opportunity here. But by giving hope, notice this last phrase in in verse 23 towards the end of of the passage here. Surely I will pour my spirit upon you. I will make my words known to you. There is real hope. If you repent, if you turn at my, if you change your mind at my rebuke, wisdom will be poured out on you. There will be a deluge of truth. It will all come to you. You will have knowledge and understanding if you come my way. Wisdom is giving an opportunity to the simple. But to those who reject her, there is a very different outcome. Wisdom gives no help to those who reject her. If you look with me in verse 24 through 31, he begins by showing us that wisdom mocks those who mock her. He seems to change his audience a little bit to someone who is willing to listen, to someone who has heard and has refused. Here's the warning, verse 24. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction like a whirlwind and the stress and anguish come upon you. The picture here is wisdom stretching out, her hands reaching out, and receiving someone like you would, like I do with my little girl. My, I have a, a, a one and a half year old and, and, and we reach out our hands to her and she comes. I am being open and I am receiving her. That's the picture of wisdom. I called, yet what do we do? We refuse. I, I open my arms and you will not regard. In fact, you spit on, you disdain my counsel, wisdom stretches out their hands and the, and the one who is not loving wisdom rebukes or, or, I'm sorry, ignores wisdom. So how does wisdom respond to those who mock? Verse 26 and 27, she laughs at the chaos that comes their way. The word evil there, I will laugh at your calamity, means chaos, it means disorder, it means destruction. It will come and it will ravage their life. There will be chaos that comes to a foolish person who, fo- who follows foolish things. Wisdom will mock when it comes like a tornado. My mom used to say when she would open the door to my bedroom, it looks like a tornado came through here. What does she mean by that? This has been a long time, by the way. This has been a long time since that has happened. When I was a young boy, she would open my door and say a tornado came through here. She means that there's so much chaos and disorder because all my stuff is everywhere. Looks like somebody, the Tasmanian devil, threw everything all over the place. And, and the picture of someone's life who, who holds to folly is that their life is like that, 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 that a tornado has come through and just thrown everything into chaos. And you know people like that. 
You know people that their life is a chaotic tornado, and maybe your life is a chaotic tornado, and you look around and say, why is my life a chaotic tornado? Is it because you're ignoring wisdom? Is it because God's word is there and you refuse to listen? Is it because God gives us instructions in how we are to live and we mock? In fact, this is a fascinating point that I hadn't really thought of until I was working on it this past week. I don't, wisdom does not mind saying, wisdom does not mind saying, told you so. Wisdom, wisdom looks at, gave warning, said, don't do this. You're going to find destruction. They do it anyway. They find destruction. And what does wisdom do? Shouldn't have done that. It's important that we point out all along the way. I think we hesitate to do that. It feels like we're gloating. It feels like if we do that, we're gloating. I think there's an important part if you're instructing someone. If you're a parent and you're instructing your children, you tell them not to do something. They do it anyway. They get in trouble. They have problems. I think it's important for you not to be uh, bad about it, but to, but to point out that to follow my path, would not have, you would not have gone there. Listen. Be careful. And there are wasted opportunities here because life is short in verses 28 through 31. They will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. When they face the consequences of their failure, they may look for wisdom, but they will not find wisdom any more accessible because they've been given over the consequences of their sin. They hated knowledge, verse 29. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. They wouldn't have none of my counsel. They despised every rebuke. They, they hate knowledge, did not choose to fear God. They despised every rebuke. Therefore, verse 31, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. Filled with full of their own fancies. The consequences is they will experience the consequences of their foolishness. Romans chapter 1, the Bible describes those who are um, contrary to God, who oppose God, who ignore God. And he says this, professing themselves become wise, they became fools. And they exchange, they change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. That's idolatry. They begin to worship uh, idols, birds, four-footed creep, animals, creeping things. Therefore, what is God's solution? What is God's uh, solution? Is not a great word, but what is God's? Uh, what does God do to those who who refuse God? He gives them over to what they want. He says, "You want to go that way? Go that way and experience the consequences." God gave them over to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They, they want it, and so God says, go ahead and enjoy the consequences of your wickedness because wisdom, first, gives an opportunity to the simple. Wisdom gives no help to those who reject her, but wisdom will give security to those who listen. Follow along as we finish out this chapter. He says, for the turning away, the faithlessness of the simple will slay them. The complacencies of fools will destroy them, but... Whoever listens to me will dwell safely and be secure without fear of evil. If you are a fool, you will find it will destroy you. But those who listen to wisdom can be safe and secure. They can receive security from God's truth. I I think what the Bible is telling us, what Scripture is telling us, what Solomon is writing under the inspiration of Scripture here is the essence of a biblical ethic, how God's ethical system, how the world works. A few points as we wrap this up. God's wisdom is not hiding. God's message is not hidden to us today. It is in the open. God has clearly told us the truth, and he gives an opportunity to those who are needy, to those who will need wisdom or offered wisdom, and God's wisdom confronts us with reality. It doesn't pretend like we're good people and we already have what we need. Wisdom challenges us to recognize our shortcomings and come to God for help. God's wisdom lays out the, strict, the stark contrast between life and death. He shows us the way of life and the way of death. If you follow these ways, you'll end up towards death. If you follow these ways, you will end up 
towards life, and wisdom gives hope. He does not leave you where you are. You are not just born that way. You're not, you can't help it. You're, you're, you're not going to be able to change because of the way that people perceive you. This is not the way God's message of wisdom works. At the core of God's message to us in Proverbs is that change is possible because of the hope we have in God. Now, I want you to think of what I just outlined for you very quickly, God's ethic, God's ethical system, and I want you to see how God's plan of salvation perfectly lines up with what God's ethical system is all about. First, God's plan of salvation is not hidden. The message is public. God tells us, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God does not, uh, uh, God actually deals with reality. God confronts us with our reality. He, he, he shows us our need to be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. We stand condemned in need of a savior because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. God himself lays out the stark contrast between life and death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus Christ our Lord. And God gives us hope through Christ. You can have peace with God when you trust Jesus as your Savior. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And God gives security to those who come to him in faith. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I wonder this morning, do you recognize yourself as one of those simple people who needs to be confronted with the truth this morning, who needs to evaluate their heart and say, wow, I have gone down a path that was not to be desired. I have been, I have been forsaking the law of God. I have been rejecting God. I have not listened to God pursuing my own way. In the front of your bulletin, there's the verse, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. We are told today by our world, don't trust anyone but yourself. Direct contrast to what God's word says, which says do not lean on your own understanding. Friend, today, do you need to confess and repent to God over the, over the bad decisions you have made that have led you towards folly? Have you been listening to the wrong person? Or perhaps as I've outlined the plan of salvation here this morning, as I've shown you how God gives us hope by confronting us with the truth, would you say, wow, I need to trust Christ. I've never trusted Christ in my life. I'm not saved. I don't know if I have eternal life. Is that you today? Do you need to be confronted with the truth of God? Do you need to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, seeing your own foolishness? and coming to the wisdom of God. We're going to close in just a moment with a hymn, number 149. I'll go ahead and ask you to take your blue hymn book and turn there. I'm going to close in prayer, but I want you to already be turned there because this, this song is, He leadeth me. He leadeth me. The fact that, that God is the one who leads us. We need to learn to listen well to the voice of God that is speaking. Today, will you listen to the voice of God? What is God asking you to change? What is God asking you to do? Have you been swept away, swept away by the, by the lure of temptations of the foolishness of this world that promises inclusion and, and companionship? And do you need instead to rely completely on the one who confronts you with the truth, our Lord Jesus, who loves you and gave himself for you? Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning, as we've been working through this very challenging passage that deals with us where we are, 
whether it's young people or old people, we all have the temptations of this world that come our way. Father, may we learn to listen to the words of wisdom and not be drawn into the lure of folly. Help us to heed the words of wisdom's public call. We thank you, Lord, that your truth is not hidden away in a secret compartment, but is open to us, is revealed to us by your Spirit. Today we proclaim that truth, and we, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to help us in our unbelief. Help us to believe you completely. I pray for those here this morning who do not yet know you, that today might be the day where they trust you as Savior, they recognize their need, they understand that they, without you, are headed towards destruction and to pay for their own sins, but through you they can receive the payment for their sins and they can have eternal life. Father, I pray you'd work in our hearts even now as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We'll sing He leadeth me. He leadeth me. Charles, come and lead us as we sing. <laughs>